to another episode of Barely Living the Dream. We are uh, on our return trip to California, actually. We're about almost halfway there, almost to El Paso. It is the first day of 2016. It is Happy New Year. So this is how we're ringing it in, which is pretty, I think we did this the exact same time last year. Yep. The first or second is when we headed out. The second. Yeah, for uh, Cold Descent. Uh, I'm Mel House. With me is Chris Warren again. What's up? Uh, and um, I guess today we're going to, since uh, one thing that's kind of, uh, one thing that we've been working on for a while that's kind of started to roll out over the last couple weeks, few weeks, is um, our comedy series Placeholders. And this episode is just kind of, kind of focus on that. Um, you know, describe the process to people that you know don't know about it. Kind of how it came about, what we had to do uh, to get it to where, to get it to where it is currently for our syndication deal. Um, as of right now, it's it's on HooplaDigital.com. It's on. Uh, what am I forgetting? Vilmon. Vilmon.com. It's got its own channel there. It's on Amazon.com. Uh, the first episode is up on Amazon. I think they'll they'll eventually start putting out episodes every so often. And uh, there's a couple other sites that it's supposed to go up on. And then it's airing in some terrestrial areas as well. Um, but what's funny is that it was never... We never really intended it to be something that sort of far-reaching, I guess. When I, I mean, I initially conceived it as just a quick way to uh, get a few people SAG-eligible. Um, because at the time, we were kind of putting together a movie that was going to be full SAG. The people I wanted involved, I wanted to make sure were in the union by the time we did the movie. So I did a little investigation on the quickest ways to do that, and uh, turns out that there's a there's a loophole for new media projects to where you can uh, you can do a new media project and then tap hardly in anybody that's not union so that they become SAG eligible rather than having to go through the voucher process. Um, you can find out more about that specific you know requirements and process online. I'll, I'll put a link up in the description but that's kind of how the series came about and so once I decided I wanted to do a quick new media thing I quickly was like well let me try try my hand in a comedy and see if I could do it because I, I was in the back of my head I'd always toyed with the idea of doing a comedy and I, I immediately thought of do, setting a comedy uh, around my time working at the public access station uh, in Houston, which I worked at for a few years, uh, around like late '90s, early 2000s, because it's it, it, the stories kind of almost write themselves. I mean, there's a crazy cast of characters. It has a little bit you can kind of easily work in the filmmaking stuff. Um, you know, like you could you could have a, you could do a lot of interstitial sort of video jokes um, so it, it lent itself pretty well to to what I wanted to do so I s- sat down and over the course of maybe a week maybe two weeks I just banged out the script for the first I think at the time it was nine episodes 
they were all about five to seven minutes each. And, uh, you know, we started, uh, I, I pretty quickly knew who I wanted to be in it. So we didn't have to worry about any casting. Uh, not too much, at least. There was one role, uh, the role of Cornelius, where I, I kind of knew who I wanted to base the role on, but I didn't know who was going to play the role. I ended up going to an improv comedy show the weekend after I finished the script. And uh, Jordan Coleman's improv comedy, comedy group was performing. And the sketch they did was all about me, all about making a porn. And he ended up, he was the director in the sketch. So I was like, dude, that's totally Cornelius. Then it just worked out. And I, I kind of Facebook stalked him, talked him into being in the movie, in the show. And uh, we were kind of off to the races. I mean, we shot it. Uh, there, I guess, but there were like a few, a few periods where we did the production, I think. A weekend here, a weekend there. Uh, but we all, we ran through it relatively quickly. As I recall, I remember. I think we were shooting two, three episodes a weekend. Yeah, yeah, we were knocking out several at a time. Yeah, uh, probably about 15, 15 to eighteen pages. Yeah, and uh, I brought I brought in a few guest directors uh, just because it's you know it's a lot to do, and I kind of wanted to see kind of see see how other people see what other people's takes on the material would be so it would not just be me uh, and uh, yeah we only had one snag as far as that was concerned <laughs> the first time around which actually led to uh, fuel for the fire for another placeholder's character so I guess in the end it actually worked out to a positive yeah <laughs> because it was it was very funny it was extremely funny situation to be a part of but very what's funny is like that whole the whole Jason Mason situation is something that popped up I've had probably six or seven different occurrences of that same sort of interaction so I'm starting to like is the problem really them or is it me I'm not really thinking that I know it's not me but it's just funny that the shit keeps happening to me. It's like I'm a magnet for that certain type of personality, I guess. But it, when it what when it wasn't happening to me, when it, when it when it wasn't happening to me related to movie stuff, it was happening to me in a band setting right. or public access TV show setting. You know, so I mean, almost verbatim, like the same sort of exchanges, weird ego fights when there's really nothing to be fighting about. I don't know. Um, so, but of course, again, it fueled the whole character and episode. So, worked out, worked out perfectly. Um, so that was a minor stumbling block. We figured it out pretty quickly. Uh, we got those first nine done relatively quickly. I put them up on the web <coughs> on uh, Adam.com, which was still around at the time. Which was, uh, excuse me, which was a sort of like Comedy Central's online web presence. And they aired there, you know, we were able to get all the SAG stuff through. So, all that worked out. And then, uh, I can't remember exactly how I came to start talking to our syndicator about syndicating the program. Uh, but, the you know, they, they, they exhibited interest. Uh, the only problem was that 
the shows were only at the time only like you know like I said seven, five to seven minutes ten at the longest and they needed to be like 22 and a half minutes long so the next sort of stage of, of the process which was, which actually occurred like maybe a year or two later was to start either combining sh- existing shows, shooting new shows, or shooting new stuff to add on to existing shows to fill them all out to, you know, 22 and a half minutes. Um, it kind of ended up being a, a hybrid approach, like I did a little bit of each, because there were certain story beats that I didn't, that I wanted to last throughout the season that I didn't want to upend, so it's like I couldn't really mess with store, major storylines that were going on in the pieces we had already shot. So I'd have to like think of like B and C stories to add on, and like even in some cases add new characters <coughs> to carry those stories. So that's kind of how some of the side characters and side journeys sort of popped up. Uh, and again, we shot those kind of you know scatter shot here and there. There was a period there where we actually had a different syndicator. And we were shooting in a different office uh, because we had, we had lost the first location. That was crazy. So we were shooting in a new location. We shot a bunch of stuff there, including one of my favorite episodes. You know, it'd be funny. Yeah. Uh, we shot there, and we started sort of pursuing this syndication deal with this other syndicator. But things got seemed kind of rotten pretty quick. And the show was on, but we weren't, you know, we weren't seeing any revenue, or there was no real clear, clear communication on when we'd start seeing revenue. So I've been down that road many times already, too many times already. So at my first inkling of that, I was like, no, pull it, done, end the contract. I'd rather bury it than have someone else profit off my work and me not see any of it. Because really, at this point, placeholders is the only thing that uh, I control fully. Yeah. Like it's still all my stuff, and uh, I really valued that. So I didn't want to again put my put my shit in the hands of someone else that was going to either try to screw me out of money or not care about it enough to follow the money or you know do any number of other things that would sort of hinder the forward momentum of you know whatever we were trying to do. So I held on to it. Then a better deal came along, a more transparent deal came along. Uh, in the interim, I actually changed a few things, uh, tweaked, tweaked some story stuff. I recorded a new song for the intro because, again, I wanted to control all aspects of it. There was already kind of a money fight brewing around the old song. <laughs> so, again, it was just easier for me just to sit down <coughs> over a weekend and record a new song for the for the uh, intro so uh, you know I'm glad that it took the uh, I took the extra time to get the show together because I, I'd much rather have it airing in the version that it's airing now it also enabled me to sort of set some things up for what I want to be the second season of the show uh, you know I had time to sort of think about what what shape it was going to take in the future and uh, you know what characters I was going to follow through and things like that so um, that's why it's just I mean we shot it in 2012 I think was when we first started production it's just now like as of yesterday last night was it last night that I sent you the Amazon stuff yeah 
as of last night, it went up on Amazon, you know, so it's, it's taken that long to kind of get everything together, complete delivery, do our final mixes, do our, get our closed captioning done, all, do all the metadata, pass QC, so it's just now going up. But, I'm, you know, it's, I'm happy. I'm glad that it's going up in the way it's going up. And people are, people still seem to be excited about it. Uh, people are watching it already. You know, I can tell that people are checking it out. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. And I'm looking forward to <coughs> seeing what it does because it's not, again, it's not something that we ever, I mean, we never set out to, uh, like make a bunch of crap, but we also were not super concerned about what people were going to think about it. Right. So it's nice. It's kind of nice and interesting to see that this is what gets out there, and uh, it's also kind of funny to me because it's, if nothing else, it's a big sort of like fuck you middle finger to a lot of different people that I have problems with in the quote unquote film scene. Uh, it, I mean, pretty much all those horror stories I tried to put in season one because it's funny shit. And uh, anything that I've been left out of season one is definitely going in season two. You say, oh, but there's more coming. Oh, yeah, there's definitely more coming. And the funny thing is, like, in the time that it's taken for it to, like, have its life, you know, life cycle from when we first were shooting it to putting up the original episodes to it coming out and starting to come out in syndication. The people that people that were so like angry at me and calling me a liar and saying shit was untrue back when this short episodes first aired have since become reticent or or come to me and like apologize to my face for not seeing shit not seeing the truth at the time. Saying we knew you were right. We knew you were right, yeah. Like we're sorry. So it's kind of funny that like all that has almost come full circle. And you know that's that's kind of rewarding, I guess, in a weird way. Uh, almost you know, like wanna do a bunch of episodes called I Told You So. Yeah. Just to rub it further in their noses. But you know, some of the stuff it's just it's so aggravating because it's so obvious, like it was so obvious what was going on. Like Honestly, the Aaron Pulaski stuff is not inflated to that much of a degree, you know? Like, him embezzling money and all that. Like, I mean, it's shit that I was clearly watching happen, you know? Well, and several other people were watching happen. Right, with with, with less... I mean, almost, there was less promised, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, so, it's nice to see those chickens come home to roost, so to speak. Uh but it's also, you know, it also like gives me a great deal of closure because I, for a while, I really, ever since we did the first set of shows, I haven't really been mad about that stuff. I got sort of got it out there and dealt with it, and it's not really been an issue. And people can hate on it or bitch about it all they want or take sides, but it kind of all that mattered to me was getting it out there and whether or not. I mean, there's a message buried in there, I guess, but I was just trying to write funny shit that some people would get. Obviously, enough got it to buy it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and whether or not people listen, I don't really care about it. Like, it's out there and kind of, I'm, I'm done with it moving on. Each, you know, everything I do is kind of like that. Like, Closet Space was about, Fade to Black was about dealing with certain things and moving on and 
closet space is about dealing with certain things and moving on, and walking distance is about dealing with certain things and moving on. Placeholders is no different. Um, it almost, in, in a lot of ways, it was almost a chore to kind of get my head into writing, starting to think about season two, because uh, it's, I, like I said, I'm not really that mad about that stuff anymore. So, you know, it's it. I do, ha- I have kind of figured it out because different sort of things have happened to make me mad again, I guess. Um, they're not really mad, but I guess disappointed is probably a better word. Disappointed and frustrated. Disappointed and frustrated, you know, so um, that's more, I think season two is going to have a different, instead of it being like a full-on, I guess, aggro, full frontal attack sort of tone, it's going to be more uh, reflective and melancholic, I guess, for a comedy, that sounds weird, but the stuff, the way that it's been coming out seems seems that way. So, I'm kind of happy with what it's sort of turning into. So, thanks to everybody that fucked me over. I mean, I couldn't do it without you, <laughs> I guess. I should probably put that on the, the end credits of every show. Yeah. Um, what do you have to add? What have I missed? Uh, I mean, I would say like if 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 you're one of the, if you're listening and you're one of the people that actually had seen the original short episodes, you really should go back to Film On, go back to Hoopla, or go back to Amazon. You know, as they start to upload them. Um, and rewatch it because I will say, as I was watching them, it's it takes on a whole new experience with the hybrids because the episodes are different now. Like they're not, yeah, it, and it actually has a different flow now, yeah, as far as a TV show, yeah. So I know that's something that I definitely did notice as I was watch, rewatching them and some of the stuff. I mean, I saw the stuff I had forgotten about. And I was like, oh, shit, I forgot all about this. And it was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's definitely a great, a good watch. And I would suggest it to everyone. But I agree with you. I think, you know, part of it is, I mean, a lot of it, I, you know, some of that stuff I wasn't even around for. Like, yeah. Closet Space or any of that other right, stuff. Right, right. The other big fuck of people fucking you over. So, I can speak to the stuff that's happened since the, you know, I guess, placeholders and walking distance up to that point. I can speak yeah. to that. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, thanks, guys. Yeah, you really helped us all, helped us out, helped Mel out, you know, put some fucking great comedy together. Um, and what's funny about what's something that keeps coming up, like I always sort of tell this story when we talk about this stuff, is. Obviously, I'm writing it about shit that I've experienced. And I was worried about it being too much like inside baseball, I guess. You know, like not really other people not getting into or not plugging in because they didn't go through the same shit. But it's it's resonated with different sort of zones of film people. Yeah. And everyone inserts their own versions of these terrible people into the characters. So they think that, like, in, in my world, Aaron Pulaski represents a certain, it's not just one person, it's actually three people, but in someone else's world, uh, 
they actually approached me. They're like, "Hey, Bill, is there a Pulaski such and such?" And you know who it is. You know who uh-huh. they, which is funny. Yeah. Because, but I, we won't say anymore. But it's a, yeah. it's a very funny, funny person to have been brought up because of what was going on now. But um, it's, but and I've had that happen with a couple of the other characters too. They think they represent people that I've either never heard of or never, never had a conversation with. So, you know, this, it always reminds me, like in Nightmare 6, where Freddy says every town has an Elm Street. Every film scene has an Aaron Pulaski. Or a Michelle Leibowitz-Torres. Or a uh, Jason Mason. You know, yeah. like they're always those archetypes. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of cool when I started getting that kind of response. Um, and then also when other people are pointing out that like when other people start to figure out the truth of what really went on and uh, kind of outing it in that way, that's kind of funny to me too. Well, it's funny. It's especially funny to see like the look on their faces when they're like, they really did that? It's like, yeah, like there's, I mean, there's a little bit that goes a little off, but not much. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's pretty much the truth. Yeah. We hide a little bit for comedic purposes, but yeah, there wasn't, in some cases we didn't have to do much. No. You know? Because it's almost it was almost a parody of itself. Um, I remember some of those things that happened that were put into placeholders. That I was like, "This is surreal. There's no way this could happen to anybody else." Like I was just like, "What the hell?" (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, even sometimes I mean, I know you remember. Sometimes I'm like, "Really? They did that?" Like, because it just baffled me. Like I was like, "How the hell?" Do you do something like that to someone else? But I guess it's you know it's possible. Yeah. And obviously, as you can see. Yeah. And not only how do you do that to someone else, but how do a bunch of people fall for it? Exactly. You know? And a bunch of people drink the flavor aid. Because it's flavor aid that Jim Jones gave to his people, not Kool-Aid. Don't disparage Kool-Aid that way. Um, but yeah, it's you know, that's Again, stuff that's all 95% true, I guess. Uh, but what's what's also funny now to me, like seeing the finished sort of run, my, my favorite episodes are episodes that really have nothing to do with that stuff. Yeah. It's, you know, it'd be funny. And threesome farts, or the TFs is what it's called in syndication. Yeah. Be, and those are totally new ones that we came up with that I shot just for syndication and I think a lot of it has to do with you know everybody had kind of found their zone by that point everybody knew the characters but I like the structure of both the episodes a lot so I mean I know the show's not for everybody if you struggle with it a little bit try to make it or even jump forward and watch episode uh, I think it's six and eight Yeah. yeah something like that but you know would be funny and the TFs. I think those are probably my two favorite episodes of the of the run, at least right now. <laughs> and I like I like the TFs because of the weird like dream sequency stuff that happens at the end. Yeah, it gets crazy. It gets pretty crazy. Um, yeah, overall very happy with how everything turned out. Um, in spite of the weird stuff that inspired it. it the weird stuff that happened during it, um, but you know, shit happens, yep. and 
I'm still working on movies, so it didn't really matter that much, I guess. Uh, there is, I mean, I can't jump in if that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, there is one more episode that... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a special episode. Yeah, that still needs to be added um, to the to the roster, but uh, yeah. we're waiting on sound for that right now. Um, and also, I can speak to that real quick. Yeah. Um, so the episode that's on the waiting to be on the roster, I directed, and basically our sound guy had to go to some concert, I think, or something. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever it was, he had to go to something, and you know, obviously, we weren't at that point when we were shooting these episodes. We weren't really paying anybody, so it wasn't like we could be like, no, you, you know, you, you're obligated to this. We're paying you. Or, you know, we couldn't obviously just say, fuck you, you're fired. Like, if, you know, it was like, you're coming in and helping us out. We appreciate it. Whatever. You got to go. You got to go. So the sound was actually recorded by Domingo uh, and myself while directing. And uh, because I think you were downstairs AD at that point. Yeah. Or PMing one of the two. Yeah, something. I don't know. Because you'll when you see the episode, you'll understand that basically I had every character in the room. Like there was, I don't think there was there wasn't anybody that wasn't. <coughs> uh, there are some that aren't in that. That stuff. are well not yeah. in that stuff. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, like yeah. as far as the mains, they're yeah. all in that room. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. It was just very interesting, and I can't wait to get it. I can't wait for everybody to see it. Um, I think it's going to be a great special episode to throw out there, because really, it's right before all the shit hits the fan. Yeah, um, which leads into season two, essentially. Yeah, I think there may be like a season one point five, and then a season two. Maybe I'm still trying to think about how I want to do that. Right. Um, but we'll see what happens. Uh, it depends on a number of different factors. I do remember, well, I know one thing we were talking about whenever we were talking about maybe doing this was uh, the whole idea of just how crazy it was that it, we went through five different sets, basically, to finish out placeholders. Yep. Um, and it was just nuts, like, because, you know, we, we lost the first location. Absolutely nothing done by us. Uh, someone else had actually gone in and trashed the place, kind of. And so the guy who owned the place was like, hey, I don't want anybody else shooting here anymore. So we basically were kicked out at that point. Uh, then our... Thanks a lot, dipshits. Yeah, appreciate those people. That's that's kind of like the rally cry for placeholders. Thanks a lot, dipshits. Yep. Pretty much. So then our second option was uh, the distributor. Right. And he was going to, so basically he was like, hey, Mel, here you have an office here. And then there's a studio downstairs you can use. And y'all can, and any, at any time, y'all can use the upstairs. It's like basically where his office was, there was just like this huge community, communal area, essentially. And so, you know, we could use that. And we did. Yeah. But then all that shit went broke loose. So yeah, yeah. There, there were a lot of weird issues that cropped up, and then like they were trying to get us to co-produce a, a 
TV show pilot for like slave labor wages, basically. Yeah, it was nuts. It was pretty insulting. Like, not a, oh, we don't have a whole lot of money situation, but hey, we're, you know, the top three people are going to make, you know, several thousand dollars and you make 50 a yeah. day or something like that. 50 a day. So, yeah, fuck that. Yeah, I remember you coming to me about that. I was like, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah, those, those days are gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so that all fell apart. So we got kicked out of there. We're not kicked out, but we basically were just like, hey, we're done. We're out. Yeah. And so we moved everything out of there. Yeah. And There's the TV station, which TV was kind station. of like in the middle of... It was in the middle of the other issues happening because it was the same people. Right. But before the team, the pilot thing had come to a head. Right, right, right. So we were there. There. And then... Uh, what was the last one? Oh, the uh, theater. The theater, yeah. So, on top of all that, uh, Derek Gutierrez, which now I can actually talk about this because both the people who are actually were nice enough to let us come in and shoot there are no longer theirs and they probably don't care anyway um, we shot at Lee College which you know we do thank Lee College for letting us do that it is in the credits yada 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 um, but Derek Gutierrez you know longtime friend of mine he basically came through in a pinch because we were looking for a place because we had to finish finish up the episodes he said why don't you just shoot here and of course, I was like, well, is it okay? And he's like, yeah, as long as you know you follow by what Lee College asked you to do, yada, yada, yada. Which we have, and everything's good, so. Yeah. Uh, pretty awesome, like, and that was that was actually a really awesome location. Would love to have gone back, but uh, at the end of the day, it just kind of didn't work out. Um, yeah, so if you're watching, if you're watching placeholders and wondering why it looks like a mishmash of like four different buildings, because it is. It is. And it jumps around in time, like, you know, the episodes that, that were kind of shot from the end are still at the end, pretty much, because they lead into something. So, the location is kind of like, looks kind of like a weird amalgamation of a bunch of different locations. The funny thing is, that's the pretty that's pretty much the most accessy thing about it, because when I worked at Public Access, it was located in this old house that was kind of retrofitted to be this TV station and they kind of like changed some rooms and built the studio in the main living area they had some stuff going on in the carriage house you know what I mean so it kind of looked like a few different places or like someone threw everything together so it kind of worked out in a way and you know once they moved into their newer building it kind of looks more like the Lee College sort of setup. but uh I think it does kind of reflect the spirit in a strange way um but, you know, like, I'll sit there and watch the episodes, and I won't even... Sometimes I won't even really think about the fact that there are different looks to the places. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you really have to be... I'll say this, like, you really have... You, if we would not have said that, you wouldn't know. Yeah. I mean, it does kind of look like a mismatch, but at the same time, it's like... It's a public access station. And yeah. Those places... Those kind of facilities are always like that. They change into 50 different things all at once. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was one thing that I wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah. just kind of popped back in my head. I was like, I need to get that out. Yeah. Um, 
Well, okay, so here's a question that maybe you can elaborate on uh, that I'm sure the fans would want to know. Um, Both of them. Yes. (laughs) What was your process as far as going in and after once we had already, you know, we had made the decision that we were going to start doing the actual 22-minute episodes, uh, what was the process to actually make, figuring out the hybrids, figuring out which ones you needed to add, and that kind of thing? Uh, well, like, some stuff was pretty immediate, like episodes one and two are kind of like one big episode anyway. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of figured that every other episode would at least be the half of a new episode. Like, every other episode we had done would be like half of a full-length episode, and then I'd have to make up a story to kind of go along with or complement that half. Okay. Because I wanted to keep the directors, since we had a kind of a profit split with the directors of each episode, I wanted to keep them, like, keep them from sharing, having to fight it out. Right, right, right. Just because people are fucking stupid when money gets involved. Uh, So... That's kind of basically on those. I would take the hit. Like the director still gets the fifty percent, and then I get my fifty percent that I was always getting. I just had to do extra work now for a new episode, right. which is fine because it's I wanted. To, you know, I was trying to get this all out there. So then I would go through each episode <coughs> and try to think of story stuff that I could add that would screw up the pre-existing stuff we'd already shot. They kind of seemed to flow with the existing part of the episode or added on to it or dealt with members of the cast that weren't in that episode so it wouldn't wouldn't throw anything off. Right. You know, there wouldn't be any, like, weird continuity errors. Uh, So, like, we did everything from shoot, like, little pieces, like uh, the end of... Like, the end... Like, after Stephanie's episode of Stone Stations airs, the bit with her and Alan in the control room because we just needed a few minutes because I buried that episode to I think basic camera yeah and uh, we the sensations thing was just something I shot just to put up on the web as like an extra thing but it actually worked out as like showing part of her show Um, then I just shot the little tag bit at the end where she's like submitting the tape but it's all jacked up and it has a bunch of like you know Writes things that they would get called on, and because that would happen all the time at Access, like I'd have to go through and scan through all the programming to make sure that the time code was right, that they formatted the tape right, that they filled out the right paperwork. And we have to do this every week for the next week's programming, right? And invariably, like half of the stuff would be fucked up. So, of course, if anybody's going to do that, it's going to be Stephanie Stone. Of course, her shows could well screwed up. Yeah, and and so that led to the scene with her and Alan in the control room, which kind of ends up setting up their relationship which they have in episodes that we had already shot we hadn't really filled in that little hole yet then for the documentary episode I, you know for example I was like oh well we should do like a behind this for the second half we'll do a behind the scenes on Aaron Pulaski's latest movie it'll kind of complement the documentary that Mike does about Channel 1 or about uh, Face Spot right so it's kind of like doing the same thing but a different take on it uh, and then I think the only other two episodes that I put together were it ended up being uh, episode 7, the remake and remake will 
the, the one that comes right after it just because it made the most sense to put those two together and unfortunately directors have to share that two other directors have to share that but I just gave up my stake in it so they'll split anybody we make off that episode so because I don't want to deal with anybody's fucking bullshit so I mean a fair, you can't tell me any fairer deal yeah. uh, so don't come after me and maybe sick my lawyers on YouTube <laughs> already gave you a good a good deal um, and then aside from that you tell I'm bitter about a bunch of stuff yeah uh, and aside from that, uh, well, I just wrote entirely new episodes. You know, like you know, it'd be funny. Baytown famous. Yeah. Grease uh, and farts. And then I actually had a couple other people write episodes just to kind of see how that would go. Yeah. Um, so I think episodes eight and nine are, are, are new episodes uh, written by other people. Um, so that's kind of how we filled out the rest so that we had 12 because we needed 12 full episodes uh, we actually have 13 like Chris said but we have one in, you know, one in the chamber that we're finishing up uh, so yeah that's kind of how I approached it it was it was definitely nerve wracking a little bit and I definitely s- switched around the order of where other, some pieces were going to go um, even down to the wire like I, I changed the uh, when, I, when I set the episodes in for delivery I flip flopped a couple episodes uh, the run order just because it worked better so uh, it was definitely a process but it was it was a fun process in a, in a way just trying to make this make this new thing out of this pre-existing thing using existing pieces <coughs> uh, but I think I'll, we'll have a much easier time with season two now that we know what we're getting into and we can write for that format. That's basically what's up with placeholders for right now. It's going to continue rolling out over the next few months. And then hopefully by the summer we'll have started on new new episodes for season two. Uh, I definitely appreciate the support so far. Uh, make sure you go to channel19placeholders.com or search for placeholders on amazon.com, hoopladigital.com, uh, or on filmon.com search under the comedy tab and it's we have uh, our own channel it's called the placeholders and it's all placeholders all the time 24 7 so you can catch pretty much the whole first season there so far okay so for the this the second part of this podcast we actually got some uh, listener questions sort of uh, off of the first few podcasts we put up so far uh, basically, we were asked to define some of the terminology that we kick around a lot okay. and maybe take for granted mm-hmm. and maybe uh, sort of define the roles that we're talking about. Okay. Uh, so let's start. Oh, I guess we'll just go top down. You know, yeah. uh, director, what does the director do on the movie? Uh, he's commander in chief, he pretty much makes all the decisions. Uh, it's his vision, ultimately, at the end of the day, whatever, he's, he's the one that's basically controlling it all. Handles, yeah, handles, handles everything. Performances. Yeah. Uh, handles everything creative. Creative, yeah. Yeah. Not technical, but creative. Yeah, or like, uh, he doesn't really handle administrative stuff. Unless, yeah. Theoretically. Unless you're us. Right, exactly. I'm a producer-director on everything I've done, but, okay, so, that's director- more or less, you know, quick and dirty definition. Producer, this is one I get asked about a lot. You handle this one. 
because a lot of people, like, I guess when people hear producer nowadays, they think, they just, just because of the culture we live in, they think music producer. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they, I imagine they picture like Quincy Jones or Puff Daddy, whatever, you Pharrell. know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's not really like that. It's almost the exact opposite in a sense. Um, they definitely do handle a lot of creative things. Um, but they're also handling the administrative side of the production. Um, paperwork, locations, deals with the actors and crew, figuring out logistics. Um, they will work with the director on honing some of the creative aspects, like if the script needs to be trimmed down or if we need to lose a location or if they think because of some deal, existing deal, they think a role could be tailored for a different, for an actor that will help sell the movie, you know, like, but the role, you know, like, basically suggestions to kind of, like, help the business side of things. Mm. Uh, And, of course, that definition kind of varies and is is a little elastic, especially when you get kind of into other, it just kind of depends on the level that you're working on. Like, indie film producers kind of wear a lot of hats, uh, pretty much doing everything under the sun not related to creative and then adding on some creative duties as well yeah. and sort of making sure everything happens there. They also could be, they could have a financial interest in the movie or could have access to the people that have a financial interest in the movie. So producers can be investors, but producers don't necessarily, not all investors are producers, I guess you could say. Right. But that does happen a lot too. And so in that case, if, if they are one and the same, they're also there to make sure you're, you know, toe the line as far as the costs go, um, and you're not misspending money. Ideally, in an ideal world, um, as you get sort of further up the chain, I mean, you have different titles: executive producers, associate producers, co-producers, uh, things like that, uh, where they kind of sometimes people are just thrown a title. Yeah, I kind of feel like that's always up when it's thrown at people. Right. Sometimes they get. I don't want to say they're thrown a title, but sometimes it's like an honorary thing or like it's a recognition deal, a rec- rec- recognition type credit for shepherding. Like John Favreau is credited as a producer of the Avengers still because right. he did Iron Man. Hey, well, you know what I mean? Like he started the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, Tim Burton was credited as a producer of Batman Forever. You know, those are the two that I think of immediately. Right. Uh, Walter Hill is credited as a producer on, you know, with David Geiler and all those other guys on the Alien series. When he himself has said like he hasn't had any involvement past the first movie, pretty much, right? You know, um, so I mean, you get you get into situations like that, but by and large, you know, uh, producers are handling more of the businessy side of things and the the nuts and bolts sort of of making the set run and organizing things for the production. That breaks down into things like unit production manager, line producer, uh, <laughs> you know, where you have very specific, um, you know, job descriptions. Line producer would be watching the bottom line and all the money, uh, handling all the deals. Yep. Unit production manager would be running the set, kind of stuff. Uh, again, at the level we're working at, the lines blur quite a bit. A line. Uh, AD is what I get asked a lot. AD stands for assistant director. director. So I'll let you, I'll toss that off to you because you love doing it. Yeah, thanks. Um, 
it's a love-hate relationship, but yeah. Um, assistant director is basically the guy that's handling the crew. Um, he's making sure, guy or gal, um, a lot of the times, basically, he's he or she is the interim between the director and the UPM. Uh, the UPM's kind of not barking orders, but is saying, you know, hey, look, we have to make sure we're out of here by this time, yada, yada, yada. And the first ADs, one of the first ADs biggest jobs is to make sure that happens. Uh, and make sure that you make your days because time is money, money's time. I've said it a thousand times, but it's the truth. Um, and also, like, it's just, it's, uh, I think, scheduling. Uh, mainly it's the first AD that is scheduling the entire the entire film, uh, the entire production, amount of time of production. You know, basically it's like, okay, so you come to the first AD and you say, hey, I've got two, two weeks to shoot this film. Can we make it happen? Well, it's my job or whoever is the first AD's job to make that happen if it's possible. Uh, now, sometimes that even comes back with suggestions to hey, you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to do two weeks. We may have to extend out a little bit more because of this effect or because of this scene. It's really long. It's going to take more than just a day to shoot. Uh, also looking at, anyway, one of the things I always do, and I think that's kind of where the blurred lines start to happen with independent film, at least, is that uh, I'll start to actually look at, well, I don't want to take this actress over into another day because it's going to cost production money. And that's really not a first AD's thing. That's more of a UPM. Right, yeah. Sometimes they'll kind of like hand a pre-done version of the schedule down to you with those things in mind, with the deals in mind. Mm -hmm. But, or at least the, their, their timeline of what right. they can do. Right. Uh, but yeah, I've also seen it happen where they say, hey, we have this person for five days and that's it. Figured out make it work basically you have to make it work I mean and that's it can get real crazy really quick like you know 10 page days um, which actually we just finished doing two or three of those yeah we're about to do at least one more. at least one more um, and that's part of what happens with the first AD and really it is the most thankless job on out of everybody in the crew it really is because you handle so much, but are you don't get any of the real big credit. You know, nobody comes up and says, Oh, thank you so much for doing what you've done. Yada, yada, yada. Don't expect that. If that's what you want to do, if you want to be a first AD, just be ready to understand that that's going to be a job that is thankless and that, you know, people know what you've done, but you're not going to be thanked. You're not going to have a thousand people running up to you. Thank you so much. And actually, the first time that ever happened was on Cold Descent. Was whenever the lead actress and a couple other people came up and said, thank you so much for everything you did. Yeah. Same thing to you. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but that's, I mean, not to toot my own horn here, but that's kind of like, that's what happens whenever you have an AD who actually knows what they're doing, can get things done effectively without yelling, without barking. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and you're kind of moving, you're moving, moving forward, it's moving the production along, like yeah. making sure that you stay on schedule, you get your shots, 
you get the call sheets out. Exactly. Well, at least on the on the productions we work on, the first AD is still doing the call sheets. Yeah. And if you have a second AD, the second AD handles all that. Right. Like you, it's basically you would offload some of those responsibilities. Right. If you have a second, second, you know, so they they handle more like extras and stuff like that. But that rarely happens on things that we work rarely on. Ever happens. Yeah. Normally on an independent film, you're gonna find the first AD doing all of that. Yeah. Um, I know on Cold Descent, that's literally what I did, and they kept. I remember they kept trying to throw someone at me as a second. And I was like, "Look, I don't, I don't need it. He's just going to get in the way. I need to just keep going." And it was just a matter of keeping the train rolling. Right. So you're basically. I mean, you're kind of the ball buster. You're the one with the whip, telling everybody, "Let's get going." Right. So. Right. But it's also like a, you know, it's it's kind of like. Just because yeah, I liken it to jujitsu as well. Like you kind of have to find a way to manipulate things exactly that aren't that isn't forceful and like people don't realize they're being manipulated because sometimes they'll push back or right. you know if one department thinks that you're giving you're you're busting on them for taking a long time yeah they'll get mad you know what I mean like everything kind of snowballs and egos are very fragile they can be. Yeah. So it's like you really have to work your people skills too. It's not. It's not just about yeah. communication. You you need to be able. Communication is key as a first assistant director. Right. Like if you're if you don't have good communication skills, please don't. Like you're going to end up just doing more harm than good. You know, uh, or at least start off as a second second or a second and see how the that first AD handles things. And learn from them and figure out what they do and how they handle things. And yeah, because you're also responsible. Like, you're the main, you're kind of the main, one of the main cogs, if not the main cog in the wheel or, you know, in the production clockwork because you are coordinating all these other elements. Like, you're making sure makeup is doing the right thing for the right scene, wardrobe is on the right page, the actors are there that need to be there, the ones that need to come later or going to come later when you need them that they're lighting for a particular scene you know what I mean like you're kind of making sure everything is running together as yeah. one you know you're essentially you're taking care of the technical side of everything for the director yeah so the director can worry about his creative vision so look that's the easiest way to describe it is you're the you're the technical side where he's the creative side right um now, of course, you have someone that's actually really ahead of that department, which I'll let you handle. Yeah. Uh, the director of photography. Oh, uh, what they do? Yeah. Yeah. Ideally, they're really the yeah. head of the technical side of it. They, yeah, they should be. I've, I just, I've had two experiences back to back where they were ex polar opposites. You know, like I've, I spoke about this before. Right. But. You know, way, Will, you're awesome. Yeah, exactly. Like Will is lives and breathes that. The other guy and other guys I've worked with are just the antithesis of that. Like, basically, they only care. Pretty much only. I don't want to say only care about their shot, but they're very tunnel vision about what's happening instead of keeping the bigger picture in mind. Exactly. Where Will you know, is the complete opposite. Where, yeah, well, yeah, Will and a couple of the other really good DPs like him that I've worked with. Like Mark David, I think, is, is similar. Yeah. Uh, at least my experience with him. 
uh, that kind of keep the bigger picture in mind and or no, I'll, you know, keep an eye on all the creative aspects, <clears throat> you know, of the film, or at least of what's going into the camera. Right. You know? uh, so, director of photography, obviously, shoots, you know, shoots the movie. If you have camera, if you have, if you're on a bigger thing, you'll have camera operators. You have camera operators that will probably run the camera, and the director of photography may just sit behind monitors with the, by the right beside the director, basically right. discussing things as and tell the tell the gaffer, you know, kind of give the gaffer instructions or whatever. Best boy, but that's only ha- I've only been on like one or two sets like that. Again, we're speaking kind of from the indie context, <laughs> uh, and I've even heard on bigger sets where. You know, the director of photography would rather be behind the camera. Yeah. So, totally. You know, you may see that on big sets too. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, Gaffer, there's a good one. Are you throwing that at me? Yeah. Oh, I thought we were, I thought you were done with director of photography. No, I mean, I think that was pretty self explanatory. Okay. It just Uh, varies as to like how hands are and how long they are. Gaffer, you're basically the electrician of the show. Uh, now that's if you're gaffer. Now you have best boy and all that, but the gaffer is the guy that or guys that are the electricians. They're the ones that basically they figure out where they're gonna plug lights in, how much um, how much amperage each wall can take. They figure out exactly where things go. Um, they handle all the. It's kind of it's not not the bitch work I don't want to say that but it's kind of like the they're the artists in front of handling the light if that makes sense yeah the ones that uh, it was a joke we threw at Ken on Wicked Tricks you know you must be praying to the sun god really well today because the sun looks pretty Um, yeah and they'll also like ideally they'll they'll sort of handle equipment needs like what you need on your in your grip and your uh, lighting package like if you need breakout boxes if you yeah. need like what kind of power you're gonna need like Ken's actually dealing with some stuff for the location on Monday oh, okay because you have to get uh, breakout boxes so he's handling all that so you like you ideally want to get somebody knowledgeable right well and they need to understand Seriously, need to understand elect- electricity is a must. Yeah, and loads. And loads. Yeah. And they also need to understand the idea of. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Never mind. Go ahead. Uh, but yeah, so Gaffer handles lights. <coughs> Best boy is basically underneath the gaffer and is learning from the gaffer, but also. Nine times out of ten has knowledge on electricity as well as as well as the gaffer. Um, oh, that's where I was going. Uh, also, you'll find a lot of gaffers normally know they'll know the code of what state they're in as far as electrical codes, so they know if they're overloading something. They also sometimes I've I've seen some electrician gaffers actually have like their journeyman's license or something like that so that way they can actually go into a box inside of a house by the way this is not suggested if you do not have this uh, they can actually go into a box in the house and wire up a light if they have their license to do so and approval from the house the owner can do so right but like I said you'll you'll find that too in a lot of gaffers where they actually have 
all that credibility behind them because they kind of have to, essentially. All right. So we touched on this one before, but just like a quick summary, I guess. Script supervisor, scripty, aka scripty. Scripty. Uh, I'm gonna let you handle that one because I handle most of the gaffer. Uh, okay, I'm trying to let you do it because my throat's all itchy. Oh, okay. Stop coughing. Uh, scripty. Let's see. So Scripty's basically Scripty's main job, main job, although it kind of goes into a lot. Um, they're they're normally going to sit behind Video Village, which is all the monitors. They're going to be watching every shot for every take, and starting from shot one, take one. Let's just say shot one, take one is a wide shot of a couple, and they are having an argument well every finger movement that the husband does every point and gesture the wife does the scripty is literally sitting there at video village and he's taking it down he or she is taking it down on exactly which line how they did it uh, which hand they used they are they are the end-all be-all when it comes to continuity uh, at least on set um and if you have a good script, you believe it or not, they actually, they are a necessity because they save your ass. I can't even tell you how many times they save your ass just to be able to say, hey, um, by the way, Julia, I'm just using a, I'm just using a name. You, uh, in take two, you pointed with your right hand, but in take one, you actually point, in take one, you pointed with your left. And normally the director will stay in and say, hey, point with your left or, you know, don't point with your right again, that kind of thing. Um, i trying to think of what else. I mean, their main job is continuity, and that doesn't just involve actors. That involves lighting. That involves, like, kind of shot coverage. Yeah, I mean. To make sure you get the coverage exactly, that you need. Exactly. Uh, now, I mean, nine times out of ten, in, in, in the indie side of things, you won't really find a scripty doing that. They'll be covering more, just making sure your continuity is right. Your director, your director of photography are normally ones going over coverage, indie-wise. At least I've never seen a scripty actually go over coverage. Uh, Independent. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen it about half of the time, like when they have a good scripty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've seen it happen, you know, just to make sure. Like, just call out, you know, another person to call out, hey, did you make sure to get this insert of the hand picking up the scissors right or whatever you know to sell the scene just again right. like we mentioned we were talking about this before when you were talking about on-set editing another another barrier to like forgetting something it's right. just another level of, of eyes backup. yeah uh, let's see what else uh, grips yeah you go for grips grips uh they handle, uh, I guess, the grunt work. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, pretty much is the best way to put it. And I don't mean that in a derogatory manner at all. Like, it's really grunt work. Yeah, like, it's basically you know setting up any equipment, all, all the like stands, the, anything that comes off the grip truck. Um, dolly grip will handle the dolly. Um, uh, yeah, any item, any item of equipment that's working on the set. It's normally an independent setting. You'll find the key grip doing most of the grip work. Uh, 
unless you're on a, a little bit of a bigger budget and you have more than one, you normally find the key grips doing pretty much everything. Yeah. Uh, and the gaffer, and this is something else too you'll find independent, this is the blurred lines as far as crew. You'll find where the gaffer will actually be helping the grips and the grips will actually be helping the gaffers, but that's because they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, you know, the grips got to set up the stand so that way the gaffer can set up the light. Yeah. So if it's a matter of, hey, I just need, the grip is working on setting up something more more difficult that's going to take more time, the gaffer's just, screw it, I'll go grab the stand and set it up and get the light up so that we're ready. Right. So, position. Uh, well, it's some, some, like something we mentioned a lot, but it's just sort of like, like crafty. Crafty? Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, like, I know a lot of people think crafty's kind of a bitch job, but guess what, like... To have crafty on set is a blessing. It's like, another one of those unsung hero type things. Yeah. Like you don't always get thanked for it, but it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, to have food, and, and we're not just talking, you know, like uh, snacks. You know what I mean? But snacks are key too. But like food, snacks, fruit, coffee, coffee for people that drink. I don't. But, I don't either. Know, and but people hey, do drink it like crazy. People need their caffeine. Uh, um, that's one of the biggest things with Crafty too is that Crafty has to make sure that they know dietary restrictions, which yeah. your UPM or your first aid is going to be finding out for you. Uh, they'll find out all your dietary restrictions. They'll give them to you so that way you can make sure every somebody there's something on the table for everyone to eat. Um, one of the biggest things, biggest notes I can give someone if they ever wanted to do anything with Crafty, and it's something I've heard on Wicked Tricks, but also I've heard in other uh, arenas as well is, you know, get stuff that's kind of light. Don't carb load. That's one thing you definitely, I mean, it's, you got to think kind of like a dietitian almost. You don't want to carb load everybody at lunch or like in snacks because when you do that, the first thing the body's going to do is just try to shut down. And instead of just keep, you know, you just want to give fuel to the body so that way everybody can eat snack real quick, run back in and keep going and not be like, oh god, I'm so full it hurts. I need to lay down and take a nap. I don't feel good. You know, that kind of crap like you do when you eat too many carbs. I only speak because, hey, guess what? We just went through Christmas and New Year's and yeah, that happened several times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's why I would throw it crafty at least. Yeah, so they they ate crafty, meals with crafty. Um, it's craft services is what that's short for. Yeah. Um, and let's see, what else? What else are we missing? I mean, there's lots, like on a big, big production, there's lots of other... Yeah, we're kind of just covering the very <coughs> the very minimal basics. VFX uh, supervisor, be your visual effects supervisor. Yeah. Uh, just making sure that you're getting your plates for your visual effects shots, any CGI stuff. Your marks are correct for your CGI. Yeah, SFX it would be special effects, so that'll be like the makeup. All your practical Practical stuff, monsters, blood. Um, your PAs. PAs, uh, which basically do everything that everyone else doesn't want to do. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and understand like, when you go, if you ever, if you're somebody that's looking to start in this profession, like being a PA is where you're going to start, and you kind of just have to take your licks. Yeah, and get, be you okay know, get ready to do 
do runs in your car, go get lunch, go get coffee, go make copies of the call sheets, get ready to collate call sheets, uh, run around and chase signatures down, hold traffic, both foot traffic and car traffic yep. if need be. Uh, tell people to shut up. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, you know, like what's your what you like basically are repeating the calls. Yeah, that I agree because I, I have I have that happen. You know, when I say something casually, I don't mean verbatim. Yeah. But well, you, well, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, uh, but I mean, like you're not gonna as a PA, you're definitely not gonna walk up to like the DP and tell him. Well, yeah, yeah. Use common sense. I hopefully I wouldn't have to say that, but. You know, like you're repeating, you're repeating whatever calls are made, if necessary. Like if you're out by crafty and everybody's talking, or upstairs, you know, you'll be positioned and told what to do. Right. Uh, so yeah, just be ready to run around like crazy. Uh, ideally, the uh, you know the producers won't abuse you necessarily. Uh, I, I have seen it happen. I've, I've seen people send PAs to go get their dry cleaning. It's stuff that was totally unrelated to the movie, which I think is kind of fucked up, but it does happen. Uh, you just have to take each situation as it comes, I guess. <laughs> is it worth it to you and your pride? Well, and part of being a PA too is your networking. Yeah. So realize that what you're trying to do is you're trying to network to get into a grip or a gaff or, you know, whatever position you want to get into or if you want to get towards the UPMs you want to be like an assistant or if you want to like actually get into like ADing so you want to get like around the second second the second the first uh, you have to network your way into that whether it be you know at lunch or at the beginning of the day when everybody's getting set up which you know that depends on set to set as well because some sets they actually kind of soft start and, you know, everybody kind of comes in, grabs their food, they discuss everything, get go, you know, and everything starts picking up and going. But then you have some that are hard starts where you show up and the second you hit set, you're working and you don't have time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just be kind of ready for anything. Be ready to be ready to shift and move if you need to. And don't be, don't be afraid to walk up to someone and say hey is there anything I can help with is there anything you need you know and if you're if you're around set and you see everybody busting their ass as soon as they kind of get done you know obviously they can't leave if you need just walk up and say hey do you, would you, do you need some water do you need a coke what do you need trust me that by itself goes a long way and gets you into some really good positions because people be like oh man you believe that guy? Because Ken was telling me on Wicked Tricks about that. He was like, man, could you believe that? Like, he actually just walked up and asked if we needed something. And so you stick in somebody's head for that. And so they may think about, hey, you know what? He did that. Let me bring him on for this and see if maybe maybe he want to do this, you know, if you're interested. That's, I mean, that's pretty much all I can think of off the top of my head that gets mentioned a lot when we talk. There are some other more specialized things that come up. You know, and some of these people will talk to, like, you know, post-production sound engineer, like Greg, you know, I yeah. hope, hopefully we'll talk to him specifically, but, uh, I mean, I think some of those tiles are self-explanatory, but we'll kind of get more into uh, the depth of what exactly they do. Um, 
and uh, expand oh. on expand on the roles a little bit more. Yeah, hopefully we can get Will on here. Yeah, you can talk about being a director of photography, and then I'd really like to get an editor on here, like somebody that's really like yeah post editor. They can kind of talk about their whole position and how that works. Yeah. Well, if any if if any decent post editors hear this, uh, feel free to send us an email. Um, I guess the issue is like we edit our own stuff. Yeah, I mean, so. no wrong. As much as we love rattling our own chains, like it's nice to hear from other people. It's nice to actually hear their experiences and what what they do. You know. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice to hear from someone that only does that. I just haven't had the. Uh, I just haven't had the experience of working with someone like that, um, for various reasons. Like I haven't necessarily sought it out because it's just been easier to do it myself. And it costs money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's more money. You know, you have to find somebody you trust, which is hard enough. Yeah. Especially in this realm. So, yeah, there's there's lots of lots of things that go along with that. Uh, I have had several people approach me with that kind of shit, like wondering why I do everything that I do, like as if I'm an like I have this auteur mindset. Yeah. And I I'm the only person that I think is good enough to do it. That's not that's not the case at all. It's just necessity. Uh, it's necessity of finding people I trust and finding people I mean you know finding people that are on the same have the same work ethic are on the same timeline working within the same budgetary restrictions you know that's tough enough it's like being in a band yeah I mean it's it's hard <laughs> you know to find to find other people that you gel with uh and sometimes it takes trying to, you know, working together in different configurations a few times, trying a few different things till you find your people. I think, you know, we're still trying to search out and find our people. Uh, so, But we're getting there. Yeah, we're getting there. I mean, it's, it's an ongoing thing. You just have to give people time to show you who they really are, which kind of has happened a few different times. Yep. Like, you know, you think you've... You think you found that, that something happens or whatever, so... So yeah, still looking, always looking. Uh, but yeah, we'll definitely try to talk to some of these folks. I think and have them speak more in depth to what the, what they do and how they approach things. Hoping to get a few of them this week. So yeah, definitely great. Hopefully, while we're on the set, uh, we can nail some folks down. But in the meantime, I think that's the end of it for this uh, this installation. Uh, make sure that you you know. Follow us on Twitter, uh, Upstart Film or Seawar54. Yep. Uh, Instagram, I'm also Upstart Film, and I think you're also Seawar54. Also Seawar54. Uh, website is UpstartFilmWorks.net. Remember, placeholders is channel19placeholders.com. You can find uh, you find it on Amazon, find it on Hoopla Digital, find it on Film On, and uh, more sites coming soon. Uh, I had mentioned Clinger, I forgot about that, but. Uh, film that we produce called Clinger is actually on VOD right now. Uh, you can find it on most VOD platforms. <laughs> Sorry about that, Rumble Strips. Uh, it's actually coming out in the UK in February. Uh, it made a few uh, top ten or top 
there was a couple of top 10 lists, but it, it was it made a few best of 2015 lists too. So uh, that one's doing well for us, and then there's more to come. So we will see you, or you'll hear from us next time. Adios.